The DeFalco Files is an entertainment-based program. Some memories of certain events might be fuzzy. All opinions are that of the host. Content might not be appropriate for children and some adults. Listener discretion is advised. And remember, the truth is here. Vegas Bad Boys of Podcasting presents The DeFalco Files with FSW owner Joe DeFalco and your host, Matt Michaels. Hey everybody, Matt Michaels here on The DeFalco Files with the owner and creator of FSW, the future stars of wrestling here in Las Vegas, Mr. Joe DeFalco. And uh, Joe, uh, I think... uh, this week has uh, worn you out, huh? Must be, man. I was like waiting to come on and was kind of laying on the couch and fell asleep. Quite a little late. <laughs> when you when you uh, when you have those uh, uh, those cat naps, uh, do you ever get any uh, daydreams of uh, matches that come to you? Like, oh, oh wow. yeah, yeah, all the time. I, I shows it's like why isn't anybody here? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I get all that stuff. It's crazy. <laughs> Seems so real too. Right. You're right. And then you you kind of wake up and it's it's very like, did that actually happen for a couple seconds? Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. You're like, what's going on? Hey, it's man. That that that's a whole different subject. <laughs> Uh, um, you know, we got the Halloween show, uh, coming up here on, uh, Sunday, the 29th, right? Is that correct? Yeah. Yeah. Crazy. Magically. It's been, uh, as, as it's progressed, you know, we're looking at doing this and then, you know, everything's based on the gimmick battle Royal. And it was like, okay, well, we're going to do the casket match. And then we got this match and a feast of famine match. And man, uh, yesterday uh, promo got released, and now we got another monster match that just got uh, added. And which which match is that? Uh, Danny Limelight, you know, since he has his issues with Hammerstone, uh, you know, he made an offhanded comment about Graves. Uh, Graves saw the uh, promo, and he said, uh, "Sign me up. I'll take that match." So we have Graves against Danny Limelight now. And hey, man, you know, nothing better uh, on a Halloween-themed show than to have Graves. Exactly. Yeah. You know, that, that, you know, that could have been the, the Buried Alive match. Right. <laughs> you know, we still got a couple days, you know. Uh, you know, if we're able to uh, dig out the concrete behind the uh, alley, uh Hopefully nobody finds out. We might be able to do it. Uh, could you could you just uh, could you just get a uh, like a bobcat and just have a dumpster and then just put the guy in the dumpster and then have the bobcat put the dirt on top of the guy. Well, the yeah, because you know Graves uh, and the, and the dumpsters have a good relationship, so. <laughs> Oh man! Um, uh, 
did you um did you think graves was going to be a part of the show because it didn't seem like he was going to be out here right uh no it came about honestly wasn't even a thought you know i i I meant to talk with him and you know the game plan was hey former fsw heavyweight champion definitely want him in the rumble and thanks to danny limelight we now have him also on this show so and we also do have him for the rumble so you know uh, it's a star-studded uh card you know uh Bateman returns on the Halloween show. Uh, you know, he's no stranger to, to the Halloween show. The The last one he did on uh, off Fremont Street, he was in the casket match against uh, Karrion Cross. So, yeah. so, yeah, now we got the casket match, big deal. Uh, we got a tag match. The Poe Boys, they returned. Jimmy Jack and Chase Bell. You know, they're going to take on uh, who I affectionately call the Killer D's, Davion and Demir. You know, I, I think they've embraced that name, by the way. Are they, are they, uh, seriously, that's, that's a very interesting question because I think those two, uh, if they um, put a little commitment into it, um, I think those two could, you know, find that common ground and make a pretty good tag team um you know what what would you say to encourage guys you know obviously the one percent is a great example that you talk about but how can you encourage these guys that if they're put together to you know get to know each other to um you know to try to make that tag team elevated and to um you know get a little more exposure possibly as a tag team because quite frankly tag teams are a little more rare uh than singles matches and yeah perfect example is the one percent when when you're young or you're two guys that are looking to get on a show there's only x amount of spots And in all honesty, even though Davion's been around a lot longer, uh, him and Demir, I don't think either one's 20 years old. Okay, so we got two kids that are about 19 years old. Spots are very rare at their points in in their careers. But, you know, when you have a tag team, like Royce and Jarrell, or you, you, you're looking at the Poe boys and you got a sky high and, you know, yeah, we haven't seen the Suavecito since they, they lost to the, to the, to the bullet club. And, you know, there, there's teams that they fall off, you know, eventually, you know, Sugar Brown decided he wasn't going to wrestle. So clutch, uh, and the R&B no longer were a tag team. Death Proof went their separate ways. And Whirlwind Gentlemen went their separate ways. And The Unguided went their separate ways. And Hero and Shogun went their separate ways. And as you grow in the business, and in some cases, you know, you're put together 
in some cases your friends but eventually the most talented people and there's a lot of talented people you know when, when jake and cody they they already had singles championships they they got together because of a circumstance things weren't happening they gelled as a team and bottom line was at the end of the day they wanted to fly on their own and that's what's going to happen with a lot of tag teams so their shelf life i guess you can say for many different reasons isn't going to be as long the unguided were hot as a firecracker amy drake got hurt matt vandergriff started wrestling in singles matches and started killing it jay vidal he'll tell you teaming with parada and the bad bitches was a great opportunity for him and then parada decided it wasn't for him anymore to wrestle and jay got to do the single stuff but he found success in the tag team and then used that to catapult him as a singles guy you know everybody jokes about oh yeah you don't want to be another genetti you guys hope you get to be a genetti now obviously personal personal issues aside you know <laughs> To get to that level, they were considered one of the best tag teams ever before, you know, Sean broke out. And well, and you can and you can say the same about the Hart Foundation, you know, because quite frankly, Brett. Oh, yeah, that, that was my favorite tag team growing up. And if you step back and you look now. It's like, wow, Bret Hart was so much better as a wrestler than Jim the Anvil Neidhart. But the bottom line is both of those guys needed each other to succeed because they were both languishing. They, they weren't doing anything. Like, they, they were talking about Bret riding out in a fucking horse and be like a, being, being like a Mountie before the Mountie type thing. Yeah. So... But them getting together, and then they got the platform, and then people started realizing, oh, shit, man. Once in a while, they would do the old tag teams after wrestle singles matches. Right. And then you'd have Bret Hart against one of the Bulldogs. And it would be like, oh, shit, this is some fucking good stuff. And I became – I was a huge Hart Foundation fan, but before Bret Hart became a singles guy – I was a huge Bret Hart fan. As much as I loved the Hart Foundation, it was Bret Hart. And Anvil fit perfectly, though. He was this crazy dude. He had the beard, and he would have that weird laugh and shit. And, you know, Bret was the serious guy. And Bret was the, when you started watching, you were like, oh, man, then this, this guy puts together some great moves. This guy, you know, he's got it. And then all of a sudden you saw that push and then he became the intercontinental champion. And I was like, wow. But back in those days, to me, I would have never thought Bret Hart was going to be the heavyweight champion, right. you know, because that was such a rare thing. When I grew up, Hogan was the guy and he held the belt forever. Right. So then they started moving it around and then Ric Flair and I remember, I don't know how I remember finding out, because it was at a house show. Right. You know, and I might have been 20. I, I, you know, I don't even know when when Brett first won the championship. 
I could have been less than that. But I don't know if it was like the, the wrestling hotline or whatever it was. I don't remember. But it was like, oh, Bret Hart won the title. Might have been on a WWE show. I'm not even sure anymore. Like a Saturday morning. But it was like, that's how weird it was. Because they never did a title change at some random house show that wasn't televised. Right. Like, oh, Bret Hart beat Ric Flair to become the heavyweight champion. I was like, oh, wow, that's fucking awesome. Yeah. And, you know, I remember that whole run. I read some of the stuff on Facebook now about the whole thing with Hogan and Yokozuna and the thing at Caesar's Palace. Because now I'm in my mid-20s there. And I remember because a friend of mine actually went to it. It wasn't really that big a wrestling fan, but I didn't go. And I remember watching it on pay-per-view. Thank you, Cheater Boxes, who kept me <laughs> up to date on every wrestling pay-per-view all the time. Yeah. And <laughs> I remember the end, and it was like, Dude, wow, that's weird as fuck. Like, Hogan's winning the title at the end of the show. Then Hogan didn't even defend it. And then I remember he defended against Yokozuna. On like some Saturday night main event, it was like a main show, and he ended up losing the title. And I was like, "No, no, no, no!" He he lost the title. Then at King of the Ring, it was the first King of the Ring, and that's the only time he defended the title, and it was against Yokozuna. And he right, I knew it. it was the only time, and it was like three or four months later. And mm-hmm. I was thinking to myself, like, "Wow, that's really odd that he now lost the title back." And he never defended it till then. It was like, why did they even bother doing it? And the way he lost was just so nonchalant, I remember. You know, it, it seemed like the it, Hogan it was, job of like, uh Well, no, it was the, um, there was a Japanese cameraman because they had the cameraman around the ringside. And he so didn't had, they do that with Undertaker too? That was Harvey Whippleman? That, yeah, it might have been. He did Tuesday in Texas. Remember that? Yeah, well, Tuesday in Texas, but that had flair involved because that led up to the um, – that set up the, the rumble where flair won the, the title. That's what – he they had to, like, flair come down and something uh, happened. Well, there. right. I remember Undertaker winning because of the photographer, and it was Harvey Whippleman. Yeah, I think that was it. Yeah, and they did it again because wasn't Mr. and Mr. Fuji I know was involved in this one. Yeah, well, Fuji was managing uh, Yoko at that time still. Yeah, and, and it was like or a was Japanese. Buffalo Jim one of the two? I can't remember. But yeah, it was the fireball to the face, and you know that was that was how you got Hogan to lose, but not you know actually get pinned. Yeah, yeah. Because he was—it was real back then. So, well, he wasn't going to job at that point, you know. Um, and it's interesting too to think about the fact that that was right at the time too, where the whole steroids uh, Vince McMahon trial was about to happen. I think. I think it was about to happen, or it had just was happened. that then? Uh, yeah, I thought, it was, I thought that was after it, but I don't remember now. It could have been you know, just after it. But. Hard time to remember, 30 years, whatever. <laughs> well, uh, you know, you mentioned Undertaker. Uh, casket match, of course, is something that uh, Undertaker made 
famous. How hard is it going to be for uh, those two guys? Because uh, this is both their first taste of a casket match, right? I mean, I don't think Co has ever done anything like this. <coughs> All three, yeah, I would imagine. Yeah. You know, well, uh, I, don't, I don't know. MK probably. He, I mean, he's been in the business what fifty years, so. Yeah, yeah, maybe. You know, he probably buried him alive somewhere. You know, over his career. But yeah, I mean, how do, how do uh, you know guys who have never um, approached a match like this, uh, you know, try to make it where because it's it's hard to make it where it's still exciting, still fresh, but then also it doesn't come off as you know sloppy or you know, not good storytelling. I mean, it's a really tough match to pull off. Well, we had one high-profile casket match back years ago after uh, Tyshawn beat Alcatraz uh, in the steel cage match. We came back, which usually the steel cage match is the finish of the feud. Right. But being that Alcatraz was the champ, Tyshawn won the belt. We decided to go with the casket match. And talked about it in the past. I watched it live, and I'm thinking, man, what a mistake. What a shitty match this was, blah, blah, blah. And then I don't know if we was – because we didn't do live commentary back then. So I remember that's how it must have been that we did commentary for the match. And I was taken aback about how awesome – that match was. And because when you're watching it live, you're bah, 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 you're, you're talking, you're paying attention. And, you know, I always remember it was like, I always tell the story because Alcatraz like punctured a lung or whatever the fuck it was when he got basically Baldo bombed from Tyshawn off the top rope. Oh. And, and he got fucked up. And there was no heat. There was no uh, animosity or anything. But being the old school guy that Alcatraz is, he felt necessary to at least, you know, send a receipt Tyshawn's way. And I remember the fire extinguisher. And it literally looked like the fog bowl at, at Soldier Field at a Chicago Bears game. But Tyshawn emerged as... I guess you could say either the Pillsbury Doughboy or the Michelin Man because he was covered. And he basically, Alcatraz, he didn't just squirt him with the fire extinguisher. He unloaded everything that was in that fire extinguisher on Tyshawn. And could be one of the funniest moments in FSW history in that match. But, you know, you want to see a good casket match or maybe get some ideas, I, I would suggest, you know, watching that. We've had them over the years at the Halloween shows. And I remember we did uh, one with the tag, with the following, and Whirlwind Gentlemen. Last year, I believe we did Santana, Jackson, and Remy against the Suavecitos, uh, Brett the Thread, and Funny Bone. So it's always been guys that we feel... It's a struggle because you want to make sure at least it's a guy that 
have a heated past, a history that, hey, this makes sense instead of, hey, by the way, Demir, you want to wrestle Davion in a casket match? Like, who would care? So at least, you know, Ko has gotten involved with the Shogun thing. MK, you know, cost him the match against Hero Lou. So, hey, that's the perfect match on the card to be, you know, a casket. There's definitely some depth to that. And the fans should be able to get behind it, especially because MK's involved and they hate that motherfucker anyway. So, you know. So it's definitely a uh, a good a good choice because we were kind of struggling a little bit. Like, man, you know, I hit a funny bone. Hey, you available? You know, Sin Bodhi. Hey, you available? You know, because at least those guys are two people you might think of as. Oh, okay, yeah, they they'd fit in a casket match whoever they were going to wrestle. Right. But they were both unavailable, so we actually got now a match that has you know deep repercussions leading into it. Yeah. Um, you know, you, you look at, you said Shogun and Hero. Um, Hero is uh, going against Damian Drake. Is that the first time they're singles, right? I don't think they've I ever... believe so. Damian Drake posted something about four years ago. And it was like four years ago, 2019, he had a partner and Hero had a partner. Like, right. Hero and Shogun in a tag team four years ago? I don't believe so. Was Damian Drake and, and Matt Vandergriff a tag team four years ago? I don't think so. So I'd actually have to look that up. It might have been just a random tag. Yeah. I don't know who they could have been in with, to be honest with you. But yeah, yeah that's. Easter famine match. So obviously in a rumble match, one and two are pretty much exactly the same. And Danny Limelight called out he was going to be number one. So next best thing is number two. So the loser of the match starts at number two and the winner of the match doesn't have to do a lot. They start at number 30. By the time they come out, there might be 23, 20 to 25 guys eliminated or or there so could be there could be match. yeah or there could be 28 guys in the ring there could be but it usually never works out that way i remember last year we had at one point we had like 15 or 16 people in the ring and it was like oh shit hopefully the ring doesn't fucking cave in <laughs> we had like juicy and we had toa and oh, yeah. we had big boys there yeah Unfortunately, no Juicy or Toa for this event. We were we were reaching out, but they were going to be unavailable. Toa's got some big things happening. Yeah, yeah, and, you know, and and I I would assume a, a third or fourth set of twins on the way. I would guess. Uh, yeah, probably. <laughs> uh, you know, that's interesting. Uh, has Damien ever started the Rumble match? I don't think he has, right? He's been in a bunch, but I, you know, again, it it all gets clogged together. It's trying to remember things, you know? Okay. 
yeah, that's, uh, you know, it's interesting to think that, you know, Damien is one of those guys who could potentially last 30 people. Um, but it's interesting too, you know, could Hero last, you know, through, through 30 people, um, given that he's probably got a target on his back for something like a rumble? Well, you know, there's a lot of people who are going to have targets on their back, you know. I'm pretty sure uh, all the talking from Danny Limelight, I think there's going to be a lot of people that are going to gun for him, not just Hammerstone. I think, you know, he rubs a lot of people the wrong way. So, yeah, it's, uh, you know, we, we still got just under a, a month, but it's, you know, it, I think that Danny's uh, Danny's mouth has helped build anticipation a month out for what's going to happen in that match, which is something that's phenomenal when you have someone who can actually start generating hype like that just because they can bring instant heat on themselves. It's amazing. Yeah, you know, it's uh, you know Danny Limelight has really. You know, we knew the skill level that was there. You know, he's come on a couple times. But you can see the confidence in himself is is through the roof. You know, when we brought him in to wrestle Ice Williams a couple years ago, uh, he had a, a really good showing in the Rumble. And with Ice William, to be honest with you. And I think he never, you know, got in the second gear, I guess you can say. You know, with the, with the interference and the faction involved. And that was his first real shot at something in FSW. And he'll tell you otherwise, but... You know, I remember talking to him after. I'm like, hey, what happened? Blah, blah, blah. You know, you came out <coughs> house of fire in the rumble. But, you know, you 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 out late night drinking a bunch of Hennessy because, you know, I didn't see that same energy in his opportunity to be the No Limits champion. <coughs> and we didn't really use him for a little while after that. But now he is firing on all cylinders. And, you know, there's also the I'm really successful everywhere else. Sure. But he wasn't getting that success in FSW. Right. <laughs> so he, he made it a point that FSW was going to be his house. And you could see that now. Yeah. Uh, no doubt. Um. <laughs> you, know, you talked a little bit about Bateman. Um, what does Bateman bring when, you know, he's occasionally, you know, he's, he's an occasion, but, uh, uh, you know, he's, he's going to have more time out here, uh, I believe. And, um, you know, is there more opportunities for him? Because Bateman's one of the best in terms of just working and um, giving good matches to guys. 
Well, he's a guy I remember. We used him back in the day at uh, the Boulder Highway School. Uh, he was in a tag team with Funny Bone. Uh, offhand, can't remember the name, but it was the same name he used with Ring of Honor when they had their tag team. Okay. Yeah, right. Uh, and I wasn't that impressed. It was like, yeah, you know, I used to jokingly call him Funny Bone Light because it just seemed like he was a softer version of Funny Bone. But then the years progressed, you know, didn't really use him at all. And then started, you know, seeing a lot of, you know, hype, you know, SoCal, Bateman, Wrestler of the Year, this, that. Okay, you know, he might be a guy, you know, again, you know, when you first bring him in, Violence Unlimited, by the way. That was and right. when you only got a few years in the business, you have room to grow. And he's improved tenfold. Uh, he is a renowned trainer now at Santino's and, and New Japan. So is, he's not only an addition to the roster, he's going to be an addition to the school. And just because... <clears throat> The days are, are slotted, and we have people. It says, like, on Wednesdays now, we're running an advance-only class with D'Lo Brown, which will probably only be a couple of days, you know, two times out of the month maybe. Well, sure. now there's an opportunity that maybe Bateman will take the other two weeks. Or, you know, we know Kenny King doesn't make every, every class. You know, Kenny's good for – you know, two to three every month. Well, you know, Sharp's a guy who helps cover. Chris Bay is a guy who helps cover. Well, now having Bateman, man, you know, that's an all-star staff, you know. when We talked about it before. Like, we, we've had different times where we had what we had, and then all of a sudden we had Sean Davari and Tom Howard in the bullpen. And, you know... Tom Howard has more accolades than even a Kenny King and a Sin Bodie as a trainer. Yeah. You know, so you're not losing anything. And that's why, you know, we pride ourselves about the school being like, hey, you can't even just sign up to be at the performance center. So there's not a lot of places you can go where there's five or six ex major league superstars that are helping train because as good as somebody can be and have a lot of knowledge, the Cody's, the Remy's, the Bateman's, they may have not have done it on a major league scale and they're definitely more than capable of training people. But it's also nice to have the guy who can explain to you because D'Lo Brown spent 20 years in the big leagues and before that, we had Disco Inferno or Davari, who was currently on the staff. Or, and and D'Lo now, he's currently part of Impact or TNA now. And, you know, you can keep up to date on what maybe they're looking for. And now you got the inner workings, you know, unless you're in Canada and you got Scott D'Amour and Josh Alexander running their school, which I guarantee you gets huge amount of people who think that's their way into impact or new japan runs their 12-week class that 
basically features guys like Matt Vandergriff and Oasis and Johnny Robbie and all these people that are getting looked at by major companies and they're still dropping cash down because they want these these companies to know firsthand exactly who they are. They may know who they are, but having Rocky Romero in the building, uh, Matt Vandergriff, obviously things worked out for him because they did the dojo show and Matt got to wrestle Rocky Romero. And they're doing the show in Vegas this weekend. And Matt has a singles match. While a Titus Alexander, a Jacob Austin Young, they're in a six-man tag against Team Filthy, which is Royce Jarrell and Danny Limelight. So, you know, FSW is definitely representing on that show. (laughs) You know, who knows? Maybe Tom Lawler makes an appearance since Team Filthy will be at the FSW arena on Sunday. <coughs> do, you, do you ever think that you'd have so many Japanese wrestlers in your stable? Do it, what was that again? Did, did you ever think you'd have so many Japanese wrestlers in your stable? Oh, yeah, definitely. Uh, we got Rainy. Uh, he might be Vietnamese, though. No, I don't <laughs> but, you know, being New Japan, but, you know, they've... They've branched out and they wanna they wanna represent in the US and they understand that they it's hard to run New Japan in the United States without any Americans. Yep. Yeah. So and it's similar, you know, it's harder to incorporate them into the US promotions because if you look back in the day, you know, I was a big fan of Muda and Chono. And yeah, they, they were they were superstars from Japan because they told you that. But in 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 real honesty with WWF at the time, they didn't treat those guys the way they were treated in Japan. Right. I mean was kind of a joke character. And Muda and Chono helped with the NWO in Japan right. because they part of the NWO but Muda kind of broke through or Liger you know these guys could have been huge but there was always the drawback of they can't speak the language right and you've seen it with Kushida and you've seen it with Okada was part of impact wrestling and he was just a guy you know that that that's like you know Brock Lesnar or Roman Reigns wrestling in Japan, and they're in some mid-card match. Yeah. You know, that's the difference. When those guys came from Japan to the United States, they were just a guy. They didn't follow them with the accolades. You know, the only time Okada got the love was in Ring of Honor. Right. But people forget that he had a cup of coffee and impact, as did a lot of guys who came over, even Suzuki, he gets love and all, but he goes on AEW, how many matches has he won? He's basically there. Oh, he's this legendary guy from Japan, 
who comes in and loses to anybody he wrestles in AEW. Right. Oh, uh, and Tanahishi and, and, and all these guys. And AEW, because they do the joint thing, they try to put a couple in their positions. And, and I forgot who it was, but they had the one guy beat Omega twice. One was in like a six-man, and it was like, okay, now they're going to have the singles match. So, you know, Omega gets the win, and it's like, oh, no. they, they, they Omega put him over again because they're trying to see if they can make, you know, some of the Japanese guys household names in the U.S. Yeah. And if they're going to do it, AEW's got a better shot at doing that than in WWE. Yeah, um, but it's interesting, too, that WWE is now uh, with Triple H, you know, doing the creative. Uh, Shinsuke, even though his language uh, has always been a barrier, I, d I never understood why wrestling hasn't used subtitles for foreign wrestlers for years you know it, it never made sense to me it's like and now it's like look at the the you know the way they're able to build him and rollins with just simply putting the captions on them well you know you can argue that nakamura one of the biggest stars in japan has never really gotten his due in wwe at all like he had little runs with little bits but you could just see the investment wasn't really made in him. And it was like, oh, okay. You know, he had a good run with Rollins, and, and, and it was a good setup, and it was a good match. Of course it was going to be. But remember before, you know, he was in a tag with Rick Boogs, you know, and he was just some random guy fighting around for some intercontinental title. And, again, that's like, yeah, I could see – a guy in WWE like a, a Ricochet or some of these mid-card guys, they go to Japan. But, again, we're talking Seth Rollins, John Moxley, Roman Reigns, Brock Lesnar, Cody Rhodes, all these top guys. If they go to Japan and, and be used sparingly, you know, those guys, as Cody has been, he was treated like a king in Japan. Yeah. Like they they need American superstars to battle their Japanese counterparts. Right. While United States, most of the companies just use them as another guy. Yeah. And don't take Nakamura, he beat Lesnar in Japan. Like, imagine if they wrestled in WWE, he'd lose in three minutes with no storyline that nobody gave a shit about. Yeah. So, you know, you want to say the stereotypes are there? I, I guess they're still there from, from the 80s. You know, the only people who got over were the Japanese women because the women's division was so bad 30 or 40 years ago that... Medusa was one of the very few who could actually really work. Yeah. So what did they do? They used her in Japan and she was over there. But it wasn't like, you know, Wendy Richter or 
you know, Tori Wilson was going to Japan working tours and it was like, oh my God, because the Japanese women wrestlers were equal to the Japanese men wrestlers. Yeah. While WWE were bringing in women that looked really good and they could put on a calendar and they, they sold that. That's why they were the divas. They weren't the wrestlers. Um, do you have any uh, insight on to uh, what you're going to be seeing at the uh, the Battle Royal? Uh, has uh, Have you caught wind of anyone's uh, characters yet? Yeah, you know, Spider was looking for some theme music and stuff, and it's 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 the generic, you know. I saw Oliver wants to come as John Cena. I guess it's easy. You just wear the you just wear the jorts, and now you're John Cena. Yeah, you, you know what I mean. Like, I'm a fan of the person who actually like digs deep and uses makeup and comes in like the Hefe did as the Crow Sting twelve years ago. You know, if you I'm assuming their battle royals are on YouTube. And to this day, you know, I remember Mondo and Robbie and they, you know, the, taking the effort instead of saying, or, hey, I kind of look like this guy. There's a kid, Jonathan, there. And when I first saw him, I'm like, oh, you look like Matt Justice. And then somebody else was like, oh, no, Chris Hero. And so when I mentioned it to him, he'll be coming as Chris Hero. Doesn't have to do anything. He's got. He looks like him, you know, the skinnier version of Chris Hero, but Chris Hero. And you know, uh, I saw somebody post the gold dust thing, and it's like if somebody could pull that off. It's going to look great. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, it's a big surprise. We have to limit because we're going to have at least twenty people. So, you know. If every entrance is 30 seconds, it's already 10 minutes. And that's what we have to do because people will walk around forever. Right. So we have to, we might have 25 people in the battle royal. So we might have a 15-minute battle royal where the entrances are 12 and a half minutes. So you better watch them outside the ring because inside the ring they'll be they'll be flying out of there quick. <laughs> uh You, uh, you know, you you had a little, uh, you had a little appearance, uh, or or the character of yourself last year. Um, what what do you think when you you know for all the years that you've done it? What was it for you to see someone finally take the chance and just come out as you? Well, I'm going to give Spider credit only for keeping it such a secret. <laughs> you know, I, I thought his performance was like a, a D. You know, I, his performance of me was fucking miserable. You know, just because he's Italian doesn't mean he has the right mannerisms. You know what I'm saying? So... You know, it was a nice effort. Is is who who would be the one person in uh, the FSW world that you would uh, 
emulate for the Battle Royal yourself? I don't think anybody. <laughs> I'm not a, I'm not a, I was never a Halloween dress up guy. I remember I used to go trick or treating and I didn't even wear a costume. <laughs> and people would yab, oh, don't you have a costume? Yeah, whatever. You know, I just wanted the fucking candy. Yeah, so you're just stealing candy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the thing is, though, but I put in the work. I'd be, I'd be walking around for hours. Like, I walk around like new Halloween when it's on a, it was on a Saturday or Sunday, and it was like nobody like is allowed to go trick or treating until it turns dark or something. Like, we were out there all fucking day. We'd go home. We would take the the pillowcase because that was our fucking Halloween bag, and we would dump it and okay. fucking. Go Back out. We literally walked five miles for candy. You know, I remember like when I lived in the last place I lived in Mayapak, where it was all houses like that were a little further apart. Man, I remember going up that hill that was a half a mile away, and people would be giving you like a dime. You know, hey, don't go to that person; they're going to give you this. And you'd have to worry about the razor blades and the and the apples. And mom would have to go through the fucking candy for you. But, you know, I tried to milk it. I was probably 15, 16 trying to get candy. Sure. Sure. Um, I just Nowadays, man, these, these kids are soft. They all go to the fucking mall and get a bag. <laughs> but, well, you know... They're going to come up with VR glasses to go trick-or-treating and you'll magically have food delivered by Amazon or something. Uber Eats, they're going to get candy. Well, you know, it, it is, you know, one of the things that I've just marveled at is that changing of, you know, there there is trick-or-treat time frames now. And, yeah, we used to, you know, you start in the morning on a Saturday and you didn't finish until you know, your candy stash was bigger than you. And, and you know, it's crazy. Three years ago, they moved daylight savings time because it was always weird to me. It was like daylight savings time was like October 26th or something. So it's like right when Halloween hit, it didn't get, it got dark at like 4.30 instead of 5.30. Like, wouldn't you want like the kids to be out there in the light so they don't get hit by cars and shit? And like three or four years ago, they changed it to now daylight savings time goes, which this is the last one, which is the most miserable fucking thing. Like, why are we having another daylight savings? So that means in the summer, 730 is the peak of lightness because there's no daylight savings in the spring to make it get dark at 830, which I didn't understand. I thought it was having an extra hour like so we're basing all of daylight savings time on the fucking farmers getting an extra hour of daylight at 5 30. how about power wise in november wouldn't it be better for us to be lighter later because it's colder and that's when more of the electricity is being utilized and i thought that was the reason why we were going to stop daylight savings time yeah but the fuck do I know? You know, uh, I thought, you know, I didn't watch enough Big Bang Theory to know all this information. My wife would know. She watched like every episode. 
And to make sure she knows everything about that, she also watches Young Sheldon. So, you know. Oh, well. Yeah, which which Young Sheldon, doesn't that take place uh, in the uh, time frame we were talking about in the 80s, right? It could be. You never know. Like, we've had, uh, I think Cross came out as uh, Jason from Friday the 13th. But isn't necessarily just being a ex-wrestler type. You know, it's, you know, maybe somebody's going to come out as Elon Musk. You know, maybe Will Smith. You know, maybe Jada and Tupac. You know, it'd be nice to power couple. Are you, are you hinting uh, Maserati and uh, Rochelle? Oh, they could be that right there. They could come back as, as, as Tupac. <clears throat> you know? That would, that would be fun, okay. you know. Um, final uh, kind of final thoughts about um, you know what people uh, can expect, uh, you know, after uh, the show happens uh, on the 29th. Uh, you've got uh, they're going home. They're not allowed. <laughs> they're going to go home. Well, good. Good. I'm I'm glad that but that's official. Here, here's a little something. You know, yesterday I had to be at the school uh, because our own Chris Bay, multi-talented individual, uh, was performing uh, or filming a video for his new single entitled, believe it or not, Ultimate Finesser. But incorporates the wrestling character of Chris Bay, you know. So uh, I told him, you know, what might be pretty cool is, you know, for the release and things like that, maybe after the FSW event, we have a little special uh, Chris Bay concert. Sure. You know, of course, there's going to be a little bit of an extra charge for the performance. Just saying. But there's a lot of Chris Bay fans. So, you know. Yeah. Yeah, I think that would be a, a, a very suitable... Um, supportive audience to uh, also get them, you know, because listen, performing in the ring is definitely something that he's used to, but performing your music on stage in front of a crowd, you know, it, it helps when you have people who uh, appreciate you already to uh, make you feel that comfortable to then go on and do it you know, in cities that you've never, you know, people might not know who you are. So that's, yeah. that's interesting. Yeah. You know, I've always wanted to utilize the FSW arena for things. You know, I knew some people that were involved when scratch was doing the comedy and the guy Diaz who uh, Diaz Mackey, he moved away back to Detroit, but he was a guy I had talked to about like, Hey, what about doing like a comedy thing? You know, I always liked the, the concept of the beers and body slams. Initially, we'd have a band, you know, Sally would host. It was more of a variety entertainment type thing that also incorporated wrestling. And I really think there's room for that because, as we've seen from the, the shows, there's so many other companies that are just throwing, throwing together a show every couple months, uh, you know, hey, Halloween, they're going to do a show here. Or they're going to do a show there. And then there was one last week for, I don't even know, but a few of our guys worked. And it's like, 
the entertainment dollar is there. If you keep it inexpensive, we have a fan base that I think, you know, wrestlers do other things. And why not incorporate those other things into the fan base that already exists and wants to support them anyway? So I think, uh, you know, 2024, maybe we put some more heads together and try to come up with other events inside the FSW arena that I think, uh, you know, would be beneficial and I think it would be enjoyable. And that's the most important thing. You know, we have a lot of fans. We have a lot of fans that are older, love to have more, more younger kids there. You know, back in the day we were talking about doing like 11 o'clock midnight shows, whatever, more 21 and over uncensored kind of like a freak show with, you know, with the, with the axe who, and, and also axes and, and, and just, you know, different things, you know, kind of like, you know, a hood slam meets a freak show meets a wrestling show meets this and a band and, and all those other things that you don't necessarily have to love wrestling to come to the event. Sure. Because, you know, I'd work in clubs and I always remember it was like, you know, you'd work in the strip clubs. And then there'd be like a place seamless. We're just going to play rock music. And it's like, well, if you know that and you're a hip-hop guy or you're into this, why would you go to hear only stuff you didn't hear when you can go to a different club and hear all the music? Right. Like, I'm going to go there and hear nothing I like. And you're alienating the limit of the, you know, Here's the world. Well, here's what's going to go to the club. Oh, now here's what's going to be that might go to a club that's only rock. And it's the same thing here. If you're not a wrestling fan, we have to do a future shock, which has students who are having their first opportunities to wrestle. So that's the way to get non-wrestling fans to that show because they're going to have their family and friends come out and pay 10 bucks to see a show. And the attendance for those shows have been as good or better than some of the pure wrestling high octane shows. So what do you learn? Well, you're getting casual people who aren't wrestling fans to come to a show for that. Well, now, how do you get casual wrestling fans or non-wrestling fans to come to a show with something else? And it has to incorporate things you like. Hey, this local band has a good following. Hey, they're going to have a concert in the, in between the show. Okay, well, maybe we'll come check it out. But now it's not just eight wrestling matches, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. You know, maybe there's some entertainment going on beforehand. Maybe there's entertainment in the middle. And it's just things to, you know, Vegas is a town where you have to scratch and claw to get people to want to come. We have regulars. Hey, you coming? Nah, I got this today. Oh, got a concert today. Oh, the Golden Knights are playing. Yeah. You know, early on, that hurt a lot. A lot of people would go to the game. You know, and when's the time most shows happen in Vegas? Yeah, Friday and Saturday and maybe Sunday. Well, when does wrestling shows 
run everywhere in the in the country mostly. Well, Friday and Saturday and sometimes Sunday. Yeah. So, you know, unless you make a be-all, end-all event on a Tuesday, Wednesday, or Thursday, which makes it difficult because of people working or whatever, Vegas is a different animal because not everybody has to get up at 6 in the morning to go to work because it's a staggered thing. So, you know, if 20,000 people could go to T-Mobile to watch the Golden Knights play a 7.30 game and be out at 11 on a Tuesday night, you know, why can't we get 150 to 200 people inside the FSW arena? So, you know, I think uh, the minds have to get together and, and, and make us more than, you know, a show that happens every couple weeks, yeah. you know, whether it's at the arena or at a different venue, having different options, you know, a late night show, a, a bar show type thing that we did in the past. So, you know, but moving forward, you know, Halloween shows are, are always fun. It's a fun show. We do a costume contest and there's a good amount of fans who come and usually they dress as FSW people. Right. So it's, it's enjoyable to see the effort that's put in. You know, we'll give away some tickets for the next FSW arena show. And we'll have a little costume contest. And, you know, we might have some candy for the kids. And we might have some candy for the grown-up kids, too. Because, you know, who doesn't like candy? But, you know... And we always turn that into, it's always one of our fun shows and it's usually pretty well attended. So, you know, we look forward to a a good good crowd on Sunday, wanted to do it Saturday, but New Japan's running at Samstown. Right. Oh, the the, the entertainment venue that doesn't want to run any entertainment out of their venue, Samstown. So, you know, even, even, now known as TNA Wrestling, is going to the Palms in January. Yeah. You know, because they probably get a similar deal to a place right off the strip that has a huge buzz compared to a place that doesn't promote in any way. Right. Which is really disappointing. It's like, that's fine. You don't need to promote. We promoted ourselves to bring people into your casino. Let us use the fucking venue. Instead, you have a multi-million dollar venue that you you run a concert there every four months, you know, and you could say, well, yeah, the boy gaming, but well, they, they, they kind of run concerts at the cannery that they own all the fucking time. Like how many tribute artists, fucking people are, you know, tribute artists. Oh, we got an ACDC tribute artist. Really? Are they that known that you're going to put 600 people in there, but you'll run that, but you, can't run a show where we're saying we're going to give you money on top of the money you make. Uh, you know, I, I don't understand it. It's never been explained to me. And, you know, I, I could do an entire year of shows on the understanding of what casinos are looking for. You know, yeah. I, yeah. I know I'm not going to go to the Bellagio and get a fucking wrestling show that they're going to be excited about. Hey, we made seven grand. The fuck is seven grand to them? But you would think Samstown that half the time you walk in, you you, you know you're relying on older 
locals, because now you're considered a local casino. So before the pandemic, you used to run shows in the afternoon that were free. And you get, I used to go there, I'd have to either drop something off or pick up something, the hard drive after a show. They'd be 30, 40 people in there. And the reason they would do it wasn't because they were making money. It was because they wanted people in the casino. And it's like, well, I'm giving you people in a casino. And, you know, you're not interested in us. Now they don't even do the shows during the day. They don't do anything. And it's like, I I don't get why you have a venue that you don't want to use or that you or you you're willing to use it, but you price yourself out so much that only huge companies that will take a loss for footage will film there. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, it's definitely uh, a, a sad thing to, uh, to see happening there. Um, and, uh, you know, and, and the other thing too is it's it's off the strip uh so you know why wouldn't you want more of that uh you know that buzz more of that local you know people coming in uh once you know once every two months uh for a, a wrestling show um it just it makes no sense but unfortunately uh that's where we're at right now with them um again the show is this sunday uh start time is uh is it seven six o'clock six o'clock six o'clock yeah we don't want the kitties to be getting home too late yeah and uh if you can't make it out to the fsw arena you can catch it on fight plus Fight plus Definitely contact them again. They screwed up the schedule. We have uh, the best of Lacey Ryan, Zoe Stark airing, and that's going to air the week after. So we got two weeks in a row. We have uh, some content since we're not doing another show until the luck of the draw on the 19th. We wanted to have some coverage. We're we're now working on uh, the best of L.A. Knight. (laughs) And there's a lot of good stuff there. There's, you know, we got Roderick Strong. We got Kenny King. We got probably Brian Cage. We got Cross. So there's some, uh, we got Brian Kendrick. There's a lot of matches to go through. And we're also going to incorporate some of the the other material we had. You know, the Rickerisms, we used to call them back then, which is similar to the stuff he's doing now. And you just see the uh, the promo skills and ability. So it would be a shame to, you know, eliminate that from what we're going to air instead of just matches. Yeah. So check it out, Fight, uh, Fight Plus. Uh, I think it's still uh, $7.99 a month if uh, you don't subscribe. And uh, again, you can see the show uh, this Sunday, the 29th. 6 p.m. Pacific time. All right, everybody, until next week, take care.